Right, welcome back, everybody. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Thank you for sticking it out with us. We've had a few weeks uh, of, uh, of no updates, and there's been nothing like a normal schedule, but we are trying to get back to you, trying to keep the, keep the content coming, and we're really grateful for you uh, sticking it out with us. Before we start this show, I want to take a minute to remind you all that what we're trying to do with the Ezra Institute is to train up leaders who know and love the Lord Jesus and who can faithfully articulate and live in the reality of his lordship in every area of life. Now, the primary way that we do that is through intensive on-site programs of teaching and training and fellowship. And if you're a pastor, elder, church, or ministry leader, we've got a program that's designed just for you. Coming up April 13th to 17th, 2020, we're assembling a world-class faculty here in Grimsby at the EICC Center to consider topics like cultural apologetics, education, the family, gender, sexuality, the church's responsibility for the vulnerable, and more. Our goal here is to get Christian leaders together for a week of intensive training in how to understand a scriptural worldview and to equip those under our care to be uncompromising and yet loving faithfully engaging our society with the gospel. So that's April 13th to 17th, 2020. You can learn more about that program and more by visiting ezrainstitute.ca. Now back to the show. Our guest today is Corey McKenna. Corey is the president of The Cross Current. And the Cross Current is an apologetics and evangelism training and equipping ministry Corey and his team work alongside your church to raise up evangelists from within to go out and joyfully proclaim the name of Jesus. On the show today, Corey talks about the biblical basis for doing evangelism and the need to normalize evangelism as a discipline of the Christian life. He also makes the point about evangelism as warfare and how we need to understand the reality that we are in a spiritual battle and we can't have a peacetime mentality while we're at war. Corey McKenna, hey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad you could come. Um, so, Corey, you're, uh, you're the president and the founder of The Cross Current. Uh, the Cross Current is a... Well, wh- why don't you tell us yeah, what The Cross so Current is? Mission, uh, the I, cross... I do know. But... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of the formal mission of The Cross Current. Uh, the Cross Current's a local missions ministry. Uh, that equips the church by example to what we call normalize sharing the gospel in all your personal and community relationships. That's sort of the, that's the, the mission on the wall, as it were. Obviously, that granulates into some detail, but that's the high level of the ministry. Awesome. Awesome. So, Corey, this, uh, this might, might seem to some like a, a bit of an odd place to start for a Christian uh, audience, but... I was thinking maybe you could just uh, just kick us off with laying out the biblical foundation or the biblical basis for why we do evangelism. Yeah, we would we would teach Ryan that that evangelism is really an act of worship. We really believe that sincerely that that um, uh, if we if we worship Christ, we witness for Christ. It seems to be it seems to follow that if I've had an encounter with the risen Lord. Uh, the greatest news in the universe that I'm going to want to share it with someone. I think this may be an unusual passage to kind of key in on um, to answer your question, but sort of the go-to witness passage we teach is 1 John 1. 
love what John says here. And obviously John writes his gospel, so we'll come to believe in Jesus. And he writes his letter, uh, so we'll know we've come to believe in Jesus. But then he's very determined to say this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's saying we've had an experience with Jesus, is what he's saying. The life was made manifest, we've seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life. That, that this is not just you know a passive sort of evangelism. He's saying we, we testify, we proclaim, we preach, uh, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why do you do that, John? So that you too may have fellowship with us. That's his motivation, God and others. That's that's the law fulfilled, as you know. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And here's His motivation. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What a joy it is when a, when a lost brother or sister is welcomed home to the Savior. I mean, how can we not want to be a part of that? And I think that's the, the heart of evangelism is, is really uh, we are declaring the glory of God we are uh, we are presenting the lordship of Jesus Christ and and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and we're calling people home to be reconciled to God knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade men I think that's the basis that's great I appreciate that uh, something you said there in your uh, sort of the mission statement up on the wall is about normalizing uh, evangelism um, <laughs> yeah. it's a great word but yeah. what does it mean yeah 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 um and i guess why uh why why do you think that that evangelism to, to to say that uh, you're normalizing it is to suggest that it is currently not the norm yeah it follows it's, it's abnormal yeah and, and i think ryan you would agree that or anyone listening would agree that most disciplines of the christian life we would say are fairly routine and regular. That's what discipline is. It requires consistency and commitment, prayer, Bible reading, worship, fellowship, some degree of ministry. These things aren't foreign to people, but you you insert evangelism and all of a sudden people get a little bit squirrely. Why is that? Because I don't think it's on that listing because it's not normal for, for people to do. So part of our mission is to increase the frequency and fervency and consistency of evangelism so it becomes as normal as the other Christian disciplines. Now, I get it. People listening, they're, they're, there's fears associated with that and anxiety. We get that. But we have to at least all agree that evangelism is a responsibility of every worshiper of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we need to move on from there to make it a more normal part of our Christian experience. How that works is a whole different discussion. But if we can start there, you know, I think that the witness test of a, of a true follower of Jesus, Ryan, is do they have desire to share the gospel? Yeah. Yeah. I'm deeply concerned if someone who professes Christ as Lord has no desire. That's, that's a work of the Spirit. So we, we would say to folks, look, teaching you how to share your faith is very simple. The why must be a work of the Spirit. The motivation must come from above. That's being born again. And so we're all in this together. We're not saying that we've got it all figured out, but for sure we need to make this more normal. Right. Yeah, one of the things in my own my own life, in my own family's life, we've uh, we started as a family, like regular weekly observance of the Sabbath, um, bringing our kids to church. Uh, and just as we've, as we've practiced that, uh, the, the sort of, 
dictum that uh, that we were that we were given is that okay this is this is not something that we got to do this is something we get to do and uh, just having that shift in our mentality that this is something that is made for us to do uh, something that uh, as God's people it is for our good and for his glory it just uh, it really uh, flipped the switch it uh, it doesn't minimize the obligation but it makes it feel so much less onerous it's uh this is an opportunity this is something that we look forward to every week yeah i would lean into to john's gospel ryan just to kind of uh, underscore your point uh john one and people will know the story when jesus calls the first disciples the bible says the next day again john was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at jesus as he walked by and said behold the lamb of god the two disciples heard him say this and they followed jesus no wonder. <laughs> Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Quite simply, when we spend time in God's presence, we want to share them with others. Worship should inspire witness. I think that's kind of your point, is we get to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Now, I think there's different ways we can do that that are more winsome, that are more appropriate, that are, that are more discerning. But at, at the, in the simplest way possible, you're absolutely right. As an act of worship, we open our mouth, we share who Jesus is. That's it. And that is a privilege. That is a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe uh, I don't want to labor the point too much. Uh, and in some ways, it's, it's kind, of, uh, kind of obvious. You mentioned that there's obvious fear and anxiety and nervousness around that. But is that just, do you just attribute that to an ordinary human uh, reticence to be out there in front of somebody to, uh, to be on the spot or is there like is there something else happening here with specifically with regards to to the to evangelism to the declaring of the lord lordship of jesus yeah it seems as though that that evangelism is really the only christian discipline where we take an intentional step out of the saved safe camp into enemy territory so that shouldn't probably feel fantastic all the time you know we we like to ask christians in a real way ryan um is it possible that you have a peacetime mentality in a wartime reality? Mm -hmm. See, when we're at war, the constituents change. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right? The function of the services change. The, 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 the reason we do what we do changes. When our, our interests shift to actually uh, doing battle, yeah. all of a sudden we're all engaged and involved. Because let's be honest, you and I are sitting in a room right now. If this room was under enemy invasion... We'd end this podcast, we'd grab something, and we'd start swinging. Why? Because now all of a sudden a responsibility wells up inside of us. I don't know if people have embraced their responsibility with the gospel as such. So we liken this to the military. I came from a military background. Uh, my dad flew CF-100s in the Canadian military. So I was sort of raised in and around the military. And there was a sort of unwritten principle called soldier first. You've heard this before, yeah. but it's this idea that 
that no matter where you serve in the military, no matter what role you occupy or, or chair you occupy, whether you're behind a, a desk, whether you're uh, serving food or swabbing the decks, whether you're a sniper or a soldier or you fly aircraft, every single service worker must handle the rifle. And they're routinely tested in doing so. That's sort of like the gospel to us. As a follower of Jesus, you should just be able to steward the gospel. And I would say, I don't say just, I mean, that, what a privilege it is, but you keyed in on something very subtly, Ryan, that we believe that that responsibility starts in the family, it radiates to the church, and then it goes to the community. And so, first and foremost, we need to steward the gospel around uh, the supper table with our families. That is a responsibility, and, and every parent would say yes and amen to that. Well, as a as a sort of... Um, a responsibility flowing from that, then we would talk about, well, uh, let's now equip the saints for this great work of gospel ministry by example, and now let's actually touch those in our community. So, so sort of to answer your question is, is I think the fear factor is a bit of a perspective issue. What fear really is, if we just define it, we call it out, it's sort of like a mental movie that I play over and over in my mind that likely won't happen. Right. right, so I've got okay. fear. Okay, okay, and yeah. uh, and uh, but what does Scripture say? And this is this is a real, really, really convicting uh, verse when it says, "Therefore, in the context of being ministers of reconciliation, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others." I think what what Paul's getting at is when we fear God most, we fear people a whole lot less. And uh, one of my heroes of the evangelism world, Ray Comfort, love Ray. And, and Ray makes the statement that um, we, we have to pray that people love more, not fear less. I think if we actually love that person, if, if we sincerely, sincerely desire for them to come into a relationship with God through Christ, and, and we really, really, really have an eternal perspective, you know, when it talks about knowing the fear of the Lord, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. I think when we have that eternal perspective and we, we live um, with that perspective in mind, I think that those temporal fears really kind of dissolve away in light of the big picture, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and again, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pushing on this just because I know, and I don't, I don't need to tell you that this is a, a sort of underserved or underrepresented area of the Christian life but uh, we, you know we've all met people who would say like yeah evangelism if important necessary but not my calling like there are some who are called and given to the church to be evangelists God bless them now back to my own thing mm-hmm. yeah I think there's a tension in, in your question in that um, Paul certainly says to Timothy do the work of the evangelist mm-hmm. And if we drill down into that word, what it means is share the gospel. That, that, that's sort of that's the broad summary of what evangelism is. It's sharing the gospel, and uh, and certainly Paul, what Paul's implying is do the work of the evangelist, which is everyone's work. You're a follower of Jesus. You must share him. Jesus says, "You will be my witnesses." He didn't single anyone out. Anyone who was standing there and heard what he said were to be witnesses for King Jesus. What is a witness? It's one who bears testimony. The actual martus idea in martyr is where we get the word. Is one who testifies. So again, why wouldn't we want to testify? That's what John's getting at in First John. But I, I would, in tandem with what you're saying, I would agree that there in Ephesians four emerges a role of an evangelist. Right. Begs the question: Well, what is that? 
I don't think everyone is an evangelist in the Ephesians 4 sense. What the evangelist is is to do, and I'll just turn there real, real quick as we're as we're talking here, because I think it's really important we um, we start from Scripture, and um, in the context of unity, Paul is very determined here. He says, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, for what reason? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It's a discipleship role. So it may sound counterintuitive, but we actually teach uh, Christians in their own local churches. We we raise up in-house evangelists. We call them equipping evangelists. Not just a clever term, but it just draws some distinction between the work of and the role of. And so an equipping evangelist is someone who equips the saints for the work of the ministry. It's someone who views the task of evangelism through the lens of discipleship. It's a multiplying role, not just an adding laborer's role. And so um, we would say for sure there's the the role of the evangelist. Now, I, if I can just, I don't want to, I don't want to get in the weeds here on what I'm about to say, but I have some concerns that over the past 25, 30, 40, 50 years, and I'm not drawing attention to anyone in particular, but there's been a bit of a shift to a professional version of evangelism where it's sort of an invitational evangelism. We invite people to hear someone who's a a sharpshooter, a sniper in that military illustration, to share the gospel. Is there anything inherently wrong with that? I suppose not. But what's gone on, there's been a bit of a table turning over the past 25, 30, 40, maybe 50 years, whereby the average person does not feel, quote-unquote, qualified to simply articulate their faith over a cup of coffee. That's a problem. God bless people who are articulate and thoughtful and critical, and they can, they can clearly communicate information. Doesn't seem to be the pattern of the New Testament. If we look at even who gave us the Magna Carta passage on apologetics, apologia, it was Peter, not Paul. Peter was a fisherman, not a philosopher. Not saying Peter was dumb by any stretch, but Peter was basic. It seems as though we may have allowed professionalism to hijack the simple joy of sharing our faith with somebody. What are your thoughts? No, I think think that that makes sense, and I'm... uh... You know, I was I was raised in, with uh, Christian parents, and I was definitely you know among uh, among those who who thought you know like oh you know if I can just uh, get my friend from school in the door, come to this uh, come to this event, or even come to church, like like that'll that'll be that'll be great, and then I'll have sort of discharged my duty. Uh, and so I can I can uh, I can uh, relate to that. Yeah, um, and don't hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong with inviting someone to church. I for mean, sure, someone's going to sure. hear this and go, "Wait a sec, this evangelist doesn't want you." And no, but I no, no, I, no, I didn't. Say, I didn't mean to suggest no, that. Either. No, I know you didn't. Bring I, your friends to church. Bring your friends to church for sure. We we would prefer church to be more about seed watering than seed sowing. We can circle back to that in a minute, yeah, just totally. illustratively. But but um, but I, I would say this as a pastor, 17 years I served as a pastor in, a, in the local church. I love the local church. I love believers. God has given me a heart for brothers and sisters in Christ. I would say this, that if you are relying on the 90-minute meeting, typically on Sunday morning, to accomplish all the objectives of the Christian life, someone's getting ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. So you can either fall on one side of the ditch, as it were, and uh, you're going to make it specifically for non-Christians. We've seen a movement that's it's sort of dwindling down now through the 80s, 90s, 
that was a movement of church for people who don't like church type of yeah. mentality. Well, that's, that really takes us outside of biblical ecclesiology. But that's not what that means whatsoever. But I think the heart was, if we can kind of redeem some of the qualities, we want our unsaved family and friends to come to Jesus. We can all agree on that. Totally true. Sure. The other side, I'd never invite my friends to that church. It's so bound up. It's so Christianese, quote unquote. It's, it's so hard to get at. That's not great either. I think the playbook, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Paul gives us um, sort of rules for orderly worship, and it seems as though what's intimated there is at least be explanatory to visitors. It's not for them. It should be somewhat confusing to them. Uh, they should feel like they're on the outside looking in because they are, but be explanatory. Be invitational, but appropriately so. I think that's the sweet spot, but we're all, we're all learning. So Corey, with uh, with the cross current, we've uh, we've just talked about uh, maybe some of the uh, some of the difficulties, some of the uh, the tables turning mentality that, uh, and some of the dangers of that. Although trying to get them in front of the professional evangelist, and here you are, a professional evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh... the irony? Is just it's shocking, yeah. isn't it? What's uh, What's the cross current? Do it. Tell, tell us about the cross-current model and uh, approach and philosophy to multiplying witnesses. Yeah, that's a great question. And so we, we've all heard the term parachurch. Para generally means alongside, and, and God raises up ministries to, to serve the local church and to come alongside the local church. We prefer to refer to ourselves as a dia church. The, the concept there is amidst. And, uh, yeah, it seems like a subtle, a subtle distinction, but it's a big one for us that we, we really feel called to work from within the local church. We call this core to community, core to community. Um, you can add laborers, uh, for the harvest work, which is a wonderful thing through training and through a Saturday morning. We do those things three hours on a Saturday. We can come in and equip folks and, biblical evangelism or biblical apologetics and we can you know we can activate community outreach and that's wonderful that's good to do I'm, I'm not at all saying that's not good to do but we all know that if we don't cut to the core of leadership nothing multiplies yeah. leadership have to be not just here this not just cooperative with evangelism but collaborative with evangelism by way of distinction cooperative we basic we, we we agree to work together. What do you need, Ryan? I'm going to give it to you. You're the evangelist. You, you need gospel tracts. You need Bibles. We're going to help you. We're going to give that to you. It's sort of a bit of a sideline mentality. Right. Collaborative means we are on the field together. Yes, you might you might coach a quarterback to help move the team up the field, but the coach is on the field as much as the quarterback. Right. That's our perspective on evangelism. Is we don't see any way around it. Even leaning into Ephesians four. We need to help leaders and churches discern, develop, and disciple-make what we call an equipping evangelist. The term we use is church champion. I think it sort of connotes the right, uh, the right look and feel of that. Someone who will champion the cause of the gospel in their own local church. We're, ta- we're talking local indigenous. They already worship there. Right. They're already in good standing with their elders. They're already faithfully serving. They're agreeable with church leadership. They're gospel-concerned. Uh, they're evangelistic for sure, but but they they already have good standing with that local assembly. Uh, what could that person do if they were mentored and discipled 
to multiply ministry in their own local church. We're not talking outsiders. Think about this. Trying to catalyze change from the outside in, you might call that, it's a a form of sort of leadership Phariseeism. We're trying to change the inside from the outside. I just don't think that's New Covenant Christianity. It's all about inside out. We believe if we can cut to the core, strengthen the core, anyone who does any degree of physical fitness will talk about core strength. The body is best when it's exhibiting core strength. And we believe as a ministry, we've been, uh, we've been equipped and, and, and uh, engaged with local churches to help them increase that core strength through a variety of gospel ministry services so that that church can now long-term start to equip their saints for the work of evangelism and discipleship and community engagement. What, uh, speaking of churches and speaking of uh, this uh, a church champion kind of uh, position that, uh, that you've identified, what, what do you think, there are some, I'm at a small church, uh, we don't have a big diversity of uh, pastors in their roles, but uh, some churches have a pastor of evangelism and outreach, and that's, that's their portfolio. I, I don't love that term, but what, anyway. Yeah, what, that's a uh, job description, yeah, the role, for sure. Yeah. Yep. What do you uh, what do you make of this? Is this uh, is this a good and godly and uh, positive development in churches? I, I don't I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I was thankfully thankful to God to be on staff at a large church. I was the pastor of local missions, overseeing prayer, evangelism, compassion ministry. It allowed me to to really understand uh, the growth. We went from a church of two hundred to more than fifteen. It's a big church. Very thankful for the role. Uh, I've, I've equipped others who have that same paid staff role in a church. Um, do I think it's always necessary? No, I don't. I, I think that there's a, there's a volunteer movement afoot right now whereby if you could picture someone who has maybe 12 to 15 hours a week, this would be their dedicated ministry at a church. They would volunteer their time. Because if that person has, quote-unquote, a real job, sorry, pastors and elders, but I mean a real job, yeah. whereby they're out in the workforce and they're, they're working somewhere in a company or in a factory, they're really the bridge between the church and the culture. I think that there's an advantage yeah. to having that person already in the workplace and, and engaging lost people all the time. They've, they've got a heart for the lost. And, but if that person could be mentored, from the inside out. Again, I want to be very careful to say this is a discipleship role yep. more than an evangelism one. I believe the the pattern of New Testament Christianity, Ryan, and I say this with 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 homiletic expository gusto, that I think the pattern is that as the church disciples one another, they you know they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Let me just let me just read something from the book of Acts. Just to, let's add God's word to this and not, not, not my word. In, in Acts chapter 4, this is probably one of my favorite little sort of passages, little, little glimpses into the early church. Not a perfect church, but by God's grace, a multiplying church. We, we really feel burdened to help local churches unify and multiply in the Great Commission. I think this is a picture of that. Bit of a target. Uh, Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32. Now the full number, full number, just stop right there. I think that's everyone. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Are you under conviction yet? We're in the West here. I mean, they're already, they're giving all their stuff away, right? That's not my iPhone. That's your iPhone, brother, right? But they had everything in common, unity. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Hear this. And great grace was upon them all. If we want God's great grace to rest on our families, on our churches, on our community, how did that happen? Through giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You preach Christ, you experience God's great grace. We know that to be true. But we, we read what it says a little bit later uh, in conjunction with this, and it talks about the Lord adding daily to the number of those being saved. I mean, why would he not graciously do that? We're making much of his son. Through hearts of worship, we're discipling people. We're devoted to the apostles' teaching. These are actually discipleship touch points. Evangelism happens when discipleship's healthy. I can't say that strongly enough. So this role of this equipping evangelist really is a disciple maker in the local church. So the heart of the equipping evangelist doesn't ask the question, how many people did I share Jesus with today? That's a wonderful thing. For those of you who do that, you go for it. We want to equip you and release you to do that. But the equipping evangelist says, how many people did I equip to share Jesus today? It's a multiplicative perspective, not just an additional one. And so if you think about that, We love to ask the question, Ryan. I mean, how many seeds are in an apple? Do you know? Yeah, but seven. Typically seven. How many apples are in a seed? Wow. Limitless. Limitless. We're after the orchard, not just the one seed sown. As equipping evangelists, we want to equip others, to equip others, to equip others. To Wait a sec, that sounds like discipleship. Not evangelism. I'm not a, I'm an evangelist. Some of you are going, what is this guy talking about? But we believe, again, that if discipleship is healthy, evangelism happens. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think that, I think that's scriptural. Mm -hmm. But arguably, churches, let pastors are busy. I was one for years and years, and we're trying to just, you know, we got biblical counseling to do, we've got weddings and funerals to do, we've got preaching to do, we've got meetings to run, all good stuff all part of the responsibility, but it took the Lord pulling me off the sideline to look at the bigger picture and go, how can you really help these people you love so much to start to think through the bigger picture of what we call gospel health? That's the term we sort of throw around at the cross current. How gospel healthy are we as churches? Corey, that's a, this is a fantastic sort of, biblical exhortation uh for uh, for those of us who those of those of our listeners who might not be familiar where can we go uh, where can they go find out more about uh, about you about the cross current um if they're interested in learning more about this uh, this approach to evangelism via discipleship yeah ryan so our flagship website is the crosscurrent.com altogether, thecrosscurrent.com. Probably the most sort of active way to stay in touch and connected though is through Facebook. Um, Some of the millennials groaned. I know Facebook's not cool anymore apparently, but we still use Facebook. It's a great tool to multiply ministry. And if you go to facebook.com slash keeping the crosscurrent, you can track with any events, you can track with just social media updates and uh, where God is leading the ministry. Perfect. Corey, thanks a lot for being here. Really appreciate your time. God bless you for your ministry. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. If you did, it would mean a lot to us if you took a moment to subscribe, like, and share the podcast on social media and on your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.